Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Do you know how much I love you? This much. <gasps> Mommy? Her mother died when she was a little girl. She didn't die. She disappeared. Looking for something in particular? I'm just browsing. Maybe I could recommend something. Elise? She's a visionary. Your mother abducted June 8th, 1997. How do you know that? witnesses just like you let's make our best effort to make Aurora feel at home to find you, Aurora. Your mother said she loves you. Jump. Stop. There's someone here. Ah! Ah! Why didn't you tell me? I was protecting you. They're waiting for you. Do you know how much I love you? Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 409. Releasing February 11 in theatres across the US and on demand is Cosmic Dawn, a sci-fi thriller that stars Camille Rowe as Aurora, a witness to an alien abduction who joins a UFO court in pursuit for the truth. A vibrant and triptastic delve into belief and trauma, Cosmic Dawn is also the latest film from writer and director Jefferson Maneo. And I have to say thank you very much, Jefferson, for joining me now on the podcast. Jeff, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting just reading up about yourself and about this film. And the big thing that a lot of people I'm sure have been asking you about, and I'm going to do the same right now, is the experience you had, I believe, when you were 12 years old when you yourself mm-hmm. witnessed a UFO. And I'd imagine that was very much the jumping off point, wasn't it, for, for, the, for the movie that everyone's going to see very soon. Well, what was that ex- experience exactly? I'm sure my, my listeners would love to hear about it. Yeah, well, I would say I, I'll, I'll clarify a little bit. I, I, don't, I did not see a UFO, but I did see something very unexplained, uh, a light phenomenon in the sky. So I didn't actually see a spacecraft. But I was 12 years old, and my I grew up in in central Canada in Saskatchewan. And my grandmother, I come from a sort of family of farmers and ranchers, and I used to go and spend my summers uh, staying at my grandmother's ranch in southern Saskatchewan, which is in sort of a badlandsy area of of Canada. Mm-hmm. And I was asleep one night in the upstairs bedroom, and this light started coming into the room and woke me up. 
And I didn't know what it was. I thought there was just something going on outside, whether it was lights in the yard or maybe it was a combine or a harvester or something like that. I wasn't really sure what, what it was. Uh, but I, I, I remember looking at the clock and it said 1132. And so I went downstairs and my grandmother was not there. And I found her outside in the yard, sort of standing and looking up at the sky. And there was all this brilliant light sort of coming from above. And I didn't know what it was and she didn't know what it was. And it was there for a brief moment. I'm not sure how long she had seen it, but for me, it was maybe 10 seconds. And then it just kind of got sucked. Although it was almost like these colors got sucked through a straw and disappeared. Hmm. And everything went dark. We came back in. My grandmother went and woke my grandfather up and told him about it. He thought it must have been the Northern Lights or that we were sleepwalking or something like that. Uh, And the strange thing was, is that I, so when I went uh, back upstairs into my bedroom, it was one of those old digital clocks, you know, with the red digital numbers. Yeah. And instead of 1132, it said 1124. And that always sort of stuck out as just this bizarre sort of thing. It was, I saw these lights that I could not explain. The clock seemingly went backwards. And I've told this story over the years. And, and you know, not unlike Aurora in the film, nobody ever really believes it. Everybody tries to rationalize it away or have some type of explanation for it or says, well, you were 12 and you didn't really know what you're looking at. You know, all of these things to sort of, you know, try to discredit it or, or whatever. But it was very strange. Um, and it's always kind of stuck with me. So that sort of fed into, into part of the, part of the film, obviously, um, very similar to sort of the experience. Aurora has a a more specific experience than Mm -hmm. that. Uh, but the sort of unexplained lights from above was, was based on an experience that I had. The character of Aurora in Cosmic Dawn, we see her kind of like a before and after situation of the, the film kind of messes with timelines, et cetera. So you're going to need a, an actor there who can really personify the different phases in this character's life. And you found a really a great actor in Camille Rowe. Have you known of Camille's work beforehand? How did it come across that Camille played your Aurora in your movie? Well, I knew her as primarily, she's a Dior model. So I knew her face just from, you know, the cosmetics section of the department store what i just i knew her face right um and we had uh, already at this point we we'd been looking for aurora we had cast emmanuel shriki who i think is fantastic in the film she plays natalie and she was represented at the same uh management company as camille and so we had asked them we said we're looking for the lead like do you have anybody you recommend and and they uh, ended up sending me a number of reels and, and some suggestions. And so I had had, it was maybe a five minute self tape or an audition that, that Camille had done for another film. And I was watching it. And for the first sort of three minutes, I was saying to myself, when is she going to start running lines? Like she's just sort of having this conversation and then sort of midway through this tape, uh, she, her, she started having a breakdown and then I realized, oh, she is running lines. Mm. This, this, this sort of shift between kind of easy, breezy, kind of warm conversation at the beginning took this turn into something, you know, much, much darker or more emotional. Um, 
and she did it flawlessly and seamlessly. And I was like, oh, well, I need, I need to talk to her. And I talked to her and she's, she's lovely. And she had great questions about the script and was really passionate about the story. And, uh, and we just really hit it off. And so that's, that's how Camille ended up being in the film. Another important character in the movie is the character of Elise, kind of like the leader of, of this cult that um, Aurora falls into. And she's played by Antonia Zegos, who's, who's a, um, a actor from Chile. How did you find out about her? And were you looking for an actor that would be, you know, kind of like foreign or kind of exotic to kind of bring up a different kind of air as compared to just like your run-of-the-mill kind of a, a North American actor? Yeah, definitely. That was entirely the purpose because the the sort of nature of the cult is all these people from all over the world have sort of been drawn together by a similar experience or similar experiences. And so I wanted to have this group that was led by somebody who was not from where they were, you know, essentially like a, a foreigner, somebody from a different country who had sort of had this sort of prophetic calling to come to this one place and draw these other sort of souls from around the world to the same same place. So we were specifically looking uh, for an actress that was not a native English speaker mm. uh, because the film the film is in English. But I so we we looked at a, a, at a number of different actresses and we had a really good relationship with an agency in Mexico called Talent on the Road. Um, and I'm, I'm married to a Mexican woman, uh, who also edited this film. And I spent a lot of time in Mexico and, um, speak a little bit of Spanish and, and all of this. So I was kind of interested in, in, in working with a Latin American actress. Um, and I had seen Antonia in, she was obviously, she was in no, which was nominated for Academy Awards is directed by her, by her ex-husband, Pablo Lorraine. And she but she was in this other film called Los Perros, which I had seen at a film festival. And it was my favorite film I, I saw that year. Um, it was the same year that A Fantastic Woman came out, uh, which she was also in. And those, are the, my, those were my two favorite films that I'd seen that year at the, at the film festival. And so when, when this, this uh, agency had recommended her, I jumped on it immediately because she just has these magnetic eyes yeah. and, this, and this really strong presence which the cult leader I needed, you know, I wanted them to be a very strong character. Um, and she definitely has that. I mean, she has this sort of intensity to her, but also this sort of, she can kind of oscillate between very intense and very kind and, and warm and welcoming, you know, very sort of matronly. And, and that I saw in, in, in Los Perros. Um, and so I immediately jumped on that and, and she really, she showed up on set and honestly just kind of flipped the production on its head and, and, and all the actors were just locked in after that and, and sort of changed the, that we we're maybe two days into shooting, but she really brought this sense of energy and presence to the set. That's the same. I think, you know, I think it comes across in the performance, but uh also as as the cult leader it was almost sort of like she came and uh, converted all of us you know so yes what's really interesting about the film is that a lot of the film is set within this compound that the, the cult hangs out, out in and throughout you have scenes of ritual but you also have these other things it's kind of like you have exercise diet specific clothing that these characters wear colors are specific mm -hmm. to different characters as well Another thing I read about you, and I'm just going to confirm now with this true, is that um, when you were younger, you were actually 
in a cult yourself. I think it was in Costa Rica. I think the cult was called the Witnesses of the Third Kind, I think it was. Um, oh, yeah, with Jose down in Costa Rica. The, well, was, you know, I mean, cults, I don't know if we call ourselves a cult, but it was just a bunch of like-minded people that like to do psychedelics and hang out on the beach. And after a while, you realize, I mean, Jose, God, God rest his soul, sort of tragic. He tragically passed away on a motorcycle accident. I'm not really laughing, but um, this happened sort of after the fact. And then we just, I don't know, you're young and you're stupid and you feel like, you know, you're going to change the world and you're hanging out with each other and, and you're going to take these big psychedelic trips into the cosmos. And then after a while, you're just sort of, yeah, I kind of want to go, kind of want to go home. I miss my, my friends and my family. So it wasn't a cult and that you couldn't leave or whatever, but right. You know, so there was none of that kind of like uh, ritual or kind of like uh, order or anything like that that we see in a movie. That no, we, we were a very, a very loose bunch of of people. I mean, we we all got along really well. We all sort of had this, sort of these strange kind of experiences and, and stuff like that. And so then we, I don't know, we took all these psychedelics to try to recreate these experiences as a way to sort of process them and all this stuff and. You know, he sort of fancied himself, Jose sort of fancied himself as a shaman and all this, but mm. ultimately it was just, just a bunch of people doing drugs on the beach. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. Um, one thing I mentioned before, color. Color is very prominent in the movie. I mean, you spoke yourself about the experience that you had in regard to this, this light show that you saw at the beginning of the film, um, the UFO scene. You don't actually see a UFO, but color is kind of representative of what's kind of going on with it. And it's really interesting mm-hmm. that you mentioned uh, in a previous interview that James Turrell, who was this, who's the artist, um, mm-hmm. who using kind of the light and space movement, who was he in particular, was really influential in the way you wanted to portray color in, in your movie. Um, what was it about his work that really spoke to you, and that you really that you wanted to portray that type of um, take on color um, into uh, how your interpretation of kind of like this kind of cosmic event that happened in your film? 
Well, I just think, you know, light is so important in our daily lives. You know, I mean, in, in a way, film is just a trick of magic in a, in a lot of ways, right? It's just exposed, exposed light. And I think people are are really affected by light. I mean, I, I sleep with like a rock crystal lamp beside my bed and, and, you know, some people prefer tungsten colored lights. Some people, you know, people put up uh, lights at, at uh, during the holidays and Christmas and stuff like that. I think it's, it's sort of ingrained in our DNA as, as humans. And, and if you've ever seen a James Terrell installation or whatever, I mean, they're very clean, very simplistic sort of spaces, but the light is so overwhelmingly powerful mm. um, that that's just something that we, we wanted to, I, I mean, I don't think we approached the sort of the brilliance of, of James Terrell in the film, but we, you know, we tried, we was influenced by that. And, and I've always been interested in those artists like Dan Flavin and, and, and Terrell and, and stuff like that. So that definitely fed into the overall design of, uh, of the film. And, and I love films that have sort of bold use of color. I really don't like monochrome sort of monochromatic films. And um, I like films that have a sort of bold style and, and flavor to them. You know, one of, one of the filmmakers that I really admire is El Motivar and his sort of use of pastiche and bold color and all of that stuff. So all of that kind of fed into the sort of stylistic approach to the film. Another artist that had an influence on, on the film is that of um, Peter Kamani. Um, he's he's on Ontario, excuse me, mm. uh, property. Um, it pretty much is the, used as the setting for the compound that we see the cult in the movie um, mm-hmm. uh, are based in. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, just look up um, Screaming Heads installation. You really see kind of like how kind of this kind of surreal uh, uh, place just kind of plays a part in a movie. It's just really great. How did you come across? Uh, finding uh, this uh, Ontario property and what was it like um, talking with Peter and getting him on board and selling kind of like your vision of the film and what you want to use his property for in regards to, you know, um, having a movie set there? Well, we we actually were introduced to that property from a location scout uh, from that area because we were looking at some other locations. Uh, that's the gorge, the sort of canyon gorge where the, the river flows through. That was sort of in the same area. Um, and the location scout, and this is just a note to a lot of location scouts, read the script before and try to in, try to interpret the script and, and add your own flavor. Maybe some some location scouts do that. I've worked with some that definitely don't. Um, and he had read the script and and um, so that he he was an aspiring filmmaker himself, this location scout. He had like a tattoo of David Lynch on his forearm and mm. <laughs> he had, he had read the script and, and we had said, we just want to see the strangest places. Like what are the strangest places you've been to? You know, we wanted, you know, to maximize our, our sort of production value with locations. And he said, you know what, there's this really strange place that you guys might like. Uh, It's called Midlothian castle or screaming heads. And we said, yeah, well let's, let's go there. So we went there and I mean, we only shot on, on, a sort of small part of that land because we couldn't shoot around. There's all these other outbuildings and structures and stuff there that wouldn't sort of fit with what we were trying to do. Um, so, you know, there's a lot more there than what, what you see in the film. Uh, but we sort of spent the day there wandering around. I mean, it's just this incredible place. And I don't really know the story behind when Peter sort of bought this plot of land, but I know that he had bought this plot of land at one point in time had built this, sort of mini castle there, which is what Midlothian castle is. 
And then the sort of screaming head structure is sort of his signature artwork. And he's made these and sold these to different people around the world and all mm. this stuff. And they're just all over the property. So you can kind of wander around, wander through the trees and the, oh, there's another screaming head. And you'll go to all these different sort of areas of the, of the property. So we spent the day with, there with Peter. And, and the one thing that was really great about him is, is he's just an, he's just an artist that he's not looking to capitalize on, on all this stuff. You know, he's not, he's not, he's not driven by monetary concerns. He's more concerned about, okay, well, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to represent my work? So he had a lot of questions about what is the type of film that you're making? What, uh, how long, you know, obviously he wanted to know the sort of logistics of how many people, how, how big is the film crew, all that, but he wasn't intimidated by any of that because every September, yeah, I don't think he has the past couple of years because of the pandemic, but every every September he has uh, what's called the Harvest Festival there. So it's this sort of like EDM kind of festival that he has there. People come from all around the world. So they set up all these big tent structures and projection screens and, you know, there's little sort of wood stages that he's sort of built into the forest that, you know, DJs play on and stuff like that. So he was actually really well set up to accommodate a film crew because he's he's a he has this music festival there, right? So that didn't intimidate him at all. It was, it was smaller. Our our crew was going to be a lot smaller than what this festival is, and we just hit it off with with Peter, and actually the, his his sort of property manager, Cameo Oaks, is plays Cami, one of the cult members, the cult member in Brown in the film. So we got her involved in the film. And, and from there, after we went to that place, we started, we asked if we could incorporate the screaming head iconography into the iconography of the cult. And he loved that idea. Mm. um, So that's, that's where, how we found him and and how that relationship kind of grew. I love the music in the film. Um, Alan Howworth, who has done such great work. I mean, the stuff with John Carpenter, especially, I mean, um, Prince of Darkness is one of my favorite film scores. I absolutely love that film. I love the score as well. What was it like working with him him, uh, on the movie? Because, you know, like much like the the visuals, especially in regards to the use of light, the use of music is so incredibly important in this film as well. Um, What was it like having him on board and uh, trying and getting his, like his, uh, specific kind of styling into uh, into your film because it just works really well but both yourself as a filmmaker and him as a composer just get together really well in my opinion well i i had met alan through another another one of my producers on the project he had worked with him or had some contact with him at some point i'm not sure if they actually ended up working together i can't remember the specifics of that but Mm -hmm. uh, brian robertson one of the producers on the project uh, introduced me to him and Patrick Hackett, another one of the producers on the film, uh, knew another filmmaker that he had done a, a score for. Um, so there was just this sort of connection. And I didn't want to do, a, a, I wanted something really unique. And, and I knew about Alan, obviously from the John Carpenter stuff, but I also knew about him because he's kind of a synthesizer pioneer. Um, and uh I knew that he still worked with all this, all these old analog synthesizers, which I just found really fascinating. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a musician myself and, and the, the opportunity to kind of work with all this vintage gear with this composer who had done all these films that I, I really loved growing up uh, was something that I was really interested in doing. So I met Alan. Um, we sort of talked over the phone at this point, 
the pandemic was going on. So unfortunately we never got together. We, we had originally kind of planned he's, 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 he lives in, in uh, California, but he has another home studio in just outside of Cleveland in Ohio. I'm not sure exactly where in Ohio, somewhere in Ohio. Um, and so he wanted me to go down and because I play music, we we're going to go down and kind of jam on the, on the, on the soundtrack. Cool. So that unfortunately didn't happen. Uh, but Alan's just great. Alan's, totally into all the the new age mysticism and and ufos and conspiracy all all that stuff so he fit he was like just just sort of uh spiritually he was a fit for this film and we hit it off and we still you know we're still in contact to this day i was actually just talking with alan the other day because we are uh shipped to shore records is pressing a vinyl uh record of the of the score cool um so we've been sort of collaborating on on cutting down the, you know, sort of finding with the choicest bits for a, for a 44 minute uh, LP um, because there's a lot of music in the film. So we didn't, I mean, we had to sort of be selective in what we put on there. So we've been kind of collaborating on that over the past couple of weeks, but yeah, I love Alan. I hope I get to work with him again. Is it true that you're working on a erotic horror movie next? Yeah, we're making a film called There Were Witches, Abien Brujas, which we're going to shoot in Mexico, hopefully in the fall uh, 2022. We're aiming to go to camera on October 3rd. So we're currently casting, starting to look at uh, locations. And and yeah, that's going to be the be the next film. So hopefully everybody can check that out too. Well, I can tell you what, I can't wait to watch that one in um, Cosmic Dawn. Absolutely love it. For people out there listening February 11th, across theaters in the US, also on demand. Really do check out this film. Great music, great visuals, great film. And it's been great talking to you, Jeff. Congratulations with the movie. Best of luck with release. And hopefully uh, when your new movie comes out, we can talk about that as well. All right. Thanks, Matt.